0: Comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. My friend, she's got you dangling. That doesn't matter.
1: All I want is that lector. All? Oh? Are you sure that's all you want? Well.
0: everyone, and welcome to Shaken Not Stirred, second episode on From Russia With Love. As always, this is John and Russ. Hello, John.
1: Hi. I feel like everything is Russia lately. Yeah. The Olympics were Russia. I've been watching the Americans' television show, which has a lot of Russians in it.
0: And it's um, awesome.
1: Yeah. And something else is Russian, too. I can't remember, but I've been... Having a lot of Russian stuff.
0: All the stuff in the Ukraine going on. It's like the Cold War all over again. It's like perfect timing for us to do this show.
1: (laughs) Pussy galore, pussy riot. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It all ties together nicely. (laughs) Yes,
0: yes it does. Uh, But we're not here to talk about geopolitics uh, or the world at large. We're here to talk about the second James Bond movie, From Russia With Love. Um, and overall, I, I uh, and I think the scores will, will lay this out, but in general, I think this is probably the movie I've seen the least of, of all of them. Like, I I know I've seen this a couple times, um, but most of the Bond movies I've seen at least, I would say at least five or six times for the most part, except the really crappy Roger Moore ones. Um, but this one, I think I'm, this may be only like the third or fourth time I've I've seen this one tops, and it's been a long time since I've watched it. I think the last time I watched it was when it came out on DVD back in, you know, probably the uh, late 90s, early early 2000s.
1: Yeah, this is definitely my first time. And and I did... I don't know what I did. I, I I started watching this set once before, and I think I skipped this one for some reason. Not that I heard it was bad or anything like that, but I wasn't planning on going in order. And I think I wanted to watch... Goldfinger and or Thunderball for some reason. And I don't know, I ended up skipping this one. So this is like my flat out first time.
0: Nice. And I, I, I yeah. definitely enjoy it more than I remembered enjoying it. I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I remember this one as kind of being more of a slog. Um, but maybe it's it's my refined taste. Maybe it's just the fact that, again, like I said, I haven't seen it in, in quite some time. But uh, it was it was kind of a pleasant surprise to watch it again after after all these years.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I found myself smiling a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, It's kind of got its... Uh, it, it almost knows what it is, and its uh, tongue is firmly planted in cheek occasionally, and uh, it just works. You know, like, even some of the cornier stuff, like, it just manages to work after all these years.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, so we will, like, kind of we always do, we'll go through some numbers um, here and just kind of talk, talk a little bit uh kind of a production side of things before we get into the movie proper. It was released in the UK uh, on October 11th, 1963. So it was right about a year, a little more than a year away from uh, Dr. No. We kind of talked about this last time that uh, the first four or five of these movies are going to come out in pretty much rapid fire. Uh, it, it didn't come out in the US uh, until 1964. So we got a Bond movie kind of at the end of um, into 63 and then right into 64. So again, just kind of like in the UK, we got the, we got this one about a year after we got the last one.
1: And, and I really liked, um, I guess maybe to tie into that a little bit without starting up on the plot. You know, I, I like the way it opened up sort of as a direct sequel to yeah, Doctor Now. So that's kind of like a lost art, right? Like, you know, we used to get sequels like, uh, I don't know, uh, Lethal Weapon stands to mind. Like, two starts up, like, right when one ended. So that's cool. I like that feeling. And being that they were released pretty close together, it probably made sense to a lot of people, you know, in the viewing audience.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of funny because it's a franchise that is not known to really pay too much attention to what's come before it. I mean, you know, we've had... You know this franchise has been going on for 50 years. There's been many people to play Bond, so there's not always a lot of connective tissue that that goes from one movie to the next. But uh, but I thought it was kind of important for this franchise to start out with that that some of that happens. So this one did considerably more money than the others, and again, uh, I think it it helps to talk in terms of budget first. So. As we talked about last time, Doctor No had a budget of a million dollars and that was like a real stretch. I mean, for it to get a million, they really, you know, had to had to kind of push and fight for that. Unknown franchise, unknown stars, you know, hard to tell whether this thing was actually going to take off. Doctor No was kind of a smash hit, so they upped the budget to 2 million dollars for this one. And you could definitely tell. I mean, when you watch this movie, it it definitely feels like they spent more cash on it than they did in Doctor No, that that's for certain. And uh,
1: yeah, and it, I guess it paid off.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the domestic gross on this one, the U.S. gross, it's it's always funny because these are these are kind of sort of considered American movies, but kind of British movies at the same time. Um, and it's kind of weird because the producers and the production company is American, but a lot of the principals and primaries involved are, are British. But uh, and most of the time, the premieres happened over in England as opposed to open opening in the U.S., with a few notable exceptions. But uh, uh, the, the U.S. domestic gross on, on from Russia would love was $24 million. In 1964, a pretty good sum of money. Uh, the foreign gross on this was $54 million. Uh, so a total of right around 79 almost $80 million on a $2 million investment, which is pretty crazy. Um, I, I was looking, I think it was on IMDb that I was kind of combing through some stuff and they had some like rental figures and it looked like the rental figures and i'm assuming these fall outside of the domestic and foreign gross but combined were over like 40 million dollars uh just on the rentals and i'm i'm assuming they mean probably home video in general maybe not necessarily you know rentals you know exclusively so you know when you take almost 80 million and add another almost 40 million to it i mean that's pretty phenomenal that a it's had legs so you know, obviously, in 1963 and 64, when this was released, there was no home video, there was no rental market. Um, so for a movie to kind of hit the 80s, I guess maybe late 70s even, I, I'm not sure when these all came out. I think it was in the 80s when these actually came out on VHS. Um, for it to kind of have that kind of legs is pretty impressive for, for a movie at that point that it, that was probably 20 years old, if not
1: more. Right. And it's interesting, uh, you know, they, they doubled the budget and... I almost get the feeling watching it and looking at the promotional stuff, especially the poster. And and I don't know if this is the – the poster that I'm looking at is kind of the, like, hand-drawn, almost comic art one. Yeah, yeah. And and I think part of their thinking was, all right, if we're putting $2 million into this, we're going to turn it up a notch with the women and the – you know, we really have to sell this with the babes and the violence and the, you know I guess I guess I guess the term I'm looking for is just double everything if yeah. we're doubling the budget. Yeah. You yeah. Know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they yeah. And, exactly. and right
1: there yeah, and right there on the front of the poster, uh, you know, is of course uh Tatiana who is featured, but then there's the belly dancer who's in maybe, I don't know, a minute of the movie and of course the cat fight is prominently displayed on the poster. Um, so it's just interesting that the way, uh, you know, the marketing works.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, critically very, very well received. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 96% on the critic side and the audience score is at 84%. So, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty high overall. Um, even, even high for, for a Bond movie, which in general, they tend to be fairly well received, uh, for the most part. Uh, Back as director is uh, Terrence Young, so we had the same director uh, from Doctor No that did From Russia with Love, and again, uh, you know, a lot of folks kind of kind of credit Terrence Young for being uh, the one to really set the pace for for Bond on screen. Uh, you know, as a you know Fleming obviously set the tone for the character, uh, but Young really is is credited a lot with bringing him to life. Uh, so he again back back behind the behind the camera. Uh, writers uh, on this are Richard uh, Maybaum and Joanna Harwood, and uh, music is by John Barry. So this is the first time that uh, that John Barry gets the music credits uh, all to himself. I mean, and with with Doctor No, Monty Norman kind of came up with the original theme and the score, and then Barry, you know, kind of composed it. Uh, and pretty much from here forward, for quite some time, it's it's going to be all John Barry and. You know, we we hear a lot of things in this score that we will hear in future Bond movies. uh, You know, down the road, we definitely you you can definitely tell the the John Barry touch on on the score that we get in this one. Uh, And again, we'll you know when we as we get into Goldfinger and Thunderball and um, and some of the others, we'll definitely hear a lot of those repeating themes that he uh, you know kind of uses as a baseline and then expands out from there. Right. Um. So again, you know, Sean Connery as James Bond. We get, uh, Daniela Bianchi as Tatiana Rom- Romanova. Um, and again, much like, uh, um, Ursula Andress, her voice was dubbed, uh, by a lady named Barbara Jefford. And, uh, I'm not really sure what the scoop was with, uh, with her, why they dubbed her voice. Maybe it just didn't have the right sound. Again, that just seems to be a product of the time, but. Uh, I, I can understand Ur- Ursula Andrus because she had a very, very heavy accent, uh, but I don't believe that Daniella Bianchi had like a really uh, strong foreign accent, so it's just kind of funny, again, to see the, the dub come in to, to play.
1: Yeah, and it didn't really work as seamlessly no. this time.
0: No, no, it didn't.
1: There were a few times where, and I didn't know that it was dubbed for her, but when it happened, I said, oh, I bet they dubbed it just because of what we talked about last show with Dr. No, and... And everything, but, uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't fit her quite as well as, uh, as it worked with Doctor, Doctor Now.
0: Yeah, and sometimes, especially with older movies, when you see it's kind of off a little bit, you don't know if it was just, like, bad ADR, you know, if they just couldn't line it up right because the set was noisy, um, but it's just kind of funny, you know, now, looking back on this stuff, because all this stuff has kind of come out. I'm I'm sure at the time it wasn't, like, really well advertised that, uh, (laughs) that their voices were being dubbed. Right. Um pedro armand uh played ali Bey, which was kind of he was kind of like a uh i don't know how to describe him kind of like a sidekick but not really uh he kind of played this this kind of uh worldly turkish gentleman uh that had a, a boatload of kids and was in on everything i mean obviously being a part of the the spy game in in Turkey but uh um I, I really liked uh, the the Karen Bay character. I really, I really liked what uh, what Pedro Armendariz uh, brought to the to the role.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed him in the role. Definitely, uh, it almost seemed like something was missing. Uh, you know, like I was almost waiting for the turn from him. You know, I was almost waiting uh, for yeah. him to not be on Bond's side, actually, or some reveal, but. Uh... Suddenly, we open a train door, and he's dead.
0: Yeah, and sadly, in in real life, he didn't make it through the filming of of the movie. I mean, they found out uh, right before he got the part that he had cancer. He was really, really sick. Uh, they moved a lot of the shooting locations to the U.S. Uh, instead of uh, originally they were going to shoot some stuff in in Turkey, uh, especially like the the gypsy dinner scene. The you know the big cat fight uh, was all done on on stage as opposed to being done uh, in Turkey. And um, he, he sadly, he just, he just got really, really sick um, right as he was almost finishing uh, the movie and uh, actually committed suicide. I, and I guess just because of, you know, the pain and, and, and the cancer and everything else. So just really kind of a sad, um, a sad tale for him. But, uh, but he really pushed uh, to have this, this movie done. And, uh, you know, really, really wanted to be a part of it, and they they accommodated accommodated him. It sounds like the best he could, best they could. Um, Late Lenya playing uh, Rosa Kleb, the uh, KGB slash Smursh slash uh, Specter agent uh, in the movie, and obviously, um, this character was highly parodied in Austin Powers.
1: Yes, uh, Frau Farbissina. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, you know, very, very much so, um, uh, equipped with the... It's
1: funny because, uh, I'm sorry, it, she, they couldn't get the Russian accents down quite right, it seemed to me. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. Tatiana's was off. I think uh, Rosa Kleb was sort of like half Russian, half Nazi, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wasn't quite sure, um... And again, hearing so much Russian recently, or accents, I should say, uh, it just didn't sound quite right.
0: Yeah. Or quite Russian. I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and I, I don't think her voice was dubbed. I I, I did some digging around, because there was definitely some off audio for her, too. Uh, but again, I think that might have just been bad ADR, because I, I did some digging around and did not see where her voice had been, uh, been dubbed at all. Uh, and then uh, Robert Shaw uh, playing Red Grant, the... Uh, the Spectre henchman. And most people, of course, know him from, mainly from Jaws. He played, uh, uh, he, he played the captain in Jaws. And then uh, if you're fans of The Sting, like I am, he, he had a big role in The Sting. But uh, love Robert Shaw.
1: Yeah, very good.
0: Um, of course, Bernard Lee and Lois Maxwell back as M and Moneypenny. Uh, and there was a really funny scene with the two of them when Bond sends the tapes back to, uh, to, headquarters and they're listening with all these guys around there and it starts to uh bond starts to retell kind of a racy tale and m quickly uh shuts the the reel to reel off I, and it was just kind of funny
1: uh-huh. i i'd say uh i don't know what it is i love money penny yeah <laughs> I, it's it's over the top but it works you know it's so hard to put a finger on or explain what she and Bond have going on in these first two movies. But it's there. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah, yeah. Like and it and it just works. I mean, she does a, a fantastic job. I've really enjoyed uh their scenes together in these first two films.
0: Yeah, and it definitely the whole jealousy angle kind of kicks up a little bit as time goes by. And even when Roger Moore comes in into play, you know, there's there's still that rapport with those two uh, back and forth. And I, I think as much as I criticize Roger Moore, I, I think him and Lois Maxwell did have a pretty good chemistry when they shared uh, scenes on, on the screen. It was, it was uh, believable with Roger Moore, just as it was with, uh, with Connery. Uh, Eunice Gason is back as Sylvia Trench, again, still dubbed by Nikki Vandersill. Um But she had a very small part and, Originally this was kinda gonna be a thing, you know, where she would be in show up in the beginning, uh Bon, you know, she would start getting uh a little testy with the fact that Bond was always having to disappear. We kinda find out that he was gone for six months the last time. So I guess after Doctor No, uh he was off with uh Honey Rider for a while and recovering from his uh escapades in Crab Key, uh and it was six months before she saw him again. Uh but they decided After this movie, to kind of retire it. So we don't see uh, the lovely Eunice Gason anymore as Sylvia Trench, which I guess I could kind of understand because it would kind of get a little old. You know, just having that trope in the beginning of every movie with her kind of, you know, playing this character that just gets kind of like bent out of shape about the fact that Bond is never there. And for him to kind of be with her and then immediately go off and, you know, seduce, you know, how many ever women in this adventure, it just would get old.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. It really doesn't fit his character, right? You know, it fits a character. It fits a female character to want to be the one that sort of reigns him in, right? But it really doesn't fit him to keep returning to the same woman, you know, when he has all this other cool stuff going on. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, so the the other I, I would say big uh, player in this movie uh, is Walter. Walter Gotell, who plays Morzany, and he is like the head of uh, a Specter Island. He's like the head of all the training and stuff. He's sh- he's he's kind of the bigger guy, kind of balding with black hair. Um, he shows up at the beginning on Specter Island, and then he shows up at the end. Uh, he's on one of the boats uh, when when that gets when that blows up, and he actually he play he actually comes back in a different role but shows up in six more bond movies playing the same role not not this role but but the same role in six other movies as the head of the russian kgb which is kind of funny and he one of them i think the last one he showed up in was for your eyes only which there there are aspects of for your eyes only that kind of remind me of this movie a little bit they they have this device called the atac which uh well, not in function, the same as the lector, but just kind of... They use that as kind of the MacGuffin for the movie, uh, just much like they did the lector in this one. Um, and and right. and he shows up at the end of, of that movie. So it was just kind of funny seeing him... I had totally forgotten that he showed up in this movie at all, so that was kind of funny. Um, this is the first time we get Desmond Llewellyn to play Q.
1: Yeah, and the first... I don't want to talk too much about them now, but uh, the first sign really of gadgets, you know, and and trickery.
0: Yeah. And they don't even refer to him as Q. He's just, he's referred to as Boothroyd and from Q branch. So they kind of, again, this is one of those things they just kind of take and they, uh, uh, and, and they move forward with. Uh, Martine Beswick plays Zora. And so she's one of the, um, the belly dancing women that, that appears in the gypsy camp. She's also the belly dancing woman that shows up in the opening credit scene. So, so the lady, uh, the very attractive lady in the beginning, uh, that's doing all the, all the belly dancing while the credit sequence is going on. That's Martine Beswick. And she, uh, she's from Jamaica. So she was actually in the running, I think for a role in Dr. No, and didn't quite get it. And she actually will show up, uh, in another smaller role in, uh, Goldfinger. So we haven't seen the last of Martine Beswick. um,
1: something that you don't see anymore. You don't see people showing up as you know with different roles yeah. in the same movie series. You don't wouldn't see that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's very uh that that's a very uh, outdated concept too, which is kind of funny. I guess the closest we get now is like uh uh you know, we, Stan Lee. Yeah, we, get, we get Stan Lee or we get like Chris Evans playing, uh, you know, Johnny Storm in the Fantastic Four and playing Captain America in uh, his own movies in the Avengers. But uh, I guess that that that's a bit of a stretch in and of itself. Um, and the last uh, cast member I have just listed in my notes, not not that there weren't many, many more, but um, is Jan Williams, who played uh, Grant's masseuse. And I, I just thought she was worth bringing up.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, tough to be Robert Shaw in that scene, yeah uh for sure a um, couple other notes I have on the production side of things so one of the one of the interesting things about this movie and the book really is and the reason they chose this book this book's second to film was President Kennedy shortly after he was elected into office um, submitted like to time magazine his t- the ten greatest novels uh, from his perspective. Uh, and From Russia With Love was was listed as one of those 10 novels. Um, and so when, when after they did Dr. No and they realized they kind of had a hit on their hand, um, they decided to do this one next since uh, it was such a fan of the, pre- the president was such a fan of it. Um, and this was actually the last movie that President Kennedy saw in the White House. Um, he saw this, I guess, what, three days before he was assassinated in Dallas. So like the, right before he left for Dallas, this was they, they screened this movie for him in the White House. So a little little bit of interesting, interesting trivia, there.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: and and just in general, this is like a favorite of a lot of the f- folks associated with it. I mean, Terrence Young says this is you know this was the best James Bond movie made uh, up until the point where he passed. Uh, Sean Connery also feels like this was the best one that he ever that he ever made. I mean, this was his favorite favorite one of all of them. Uh, and Covey Broccoli like lists this. Um, And like for uh, uh, the Spy Who Loved Me as uh, as as some of his favorites as well, which is kind of funny because the the Spy Who the Spy Who Loved Me definitely has a very Russian, you know, overtone with as well, uh, you know, where Roger Moore hooks up with a with another Russian um, KGB agent. So but we will get to that
1: at another time. The Cold War made for a lot of material.
0: Yeah, especially with this franchise. I mean, this was just completely steeped in in Cold War, you know, up until up until its demise. So, th- I guess I'll just talk about the ge- the general plot of this movie like th- this so the point of this is Spectre is really hacked off at Bond for what he did to Dr. No and and kind of destroying their facility in the last movie. So, they decide they're going to concoct this crazy scheme um, with this, this uh, Rosa Klebb, who's this, you know, SmurSh, which is kind of like a special division of the KGB, like secret, even more secret than KGB, kind of thing. I guess b- maybe equivalent to like, I guess our CIA, but maybe even even more secretive than that. Um, and they're going to concoct this crazy scheme where they think, where they make the Russians think that the uh, British uh, slash Americans stole the Lecter, which is this. Uh, coding device that it basically it's kind of like the Enigma machine from World War II that the Germans used, where uh, they, you know, it, it's just an uncrackable code in this machine that is able to translate messages back and forth. And then Spectre would, because they had um, they had uh, Romanova kind of on the inside, they would get the device back and then sell it back to the Russians um, for a price after concocting this whole thing to, to to happen this way. And in the meantime, kind of get, like I said, get revenge on bond for what happened. Uh, and of course, uh, insanity ensues and, uh, a big train ride and a fight. And, uh, lo and behold, yeah. the British retained control of the lector.
1: It was such a crazy scheme. that <laughs> Grant had to explain the whole thing on the train to everyone. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wasn't extremely straightforward. um, <laughs> But again it was kind of cool that it it picked up from you know Doctor No and you, you know again it wasn't it wasn't like this crazy maniacal we're going to conquer the world with like a death ray kind of thing it was just like we're going to extort this device kill our enemy and make a boatload of money in the process
1: Uh yeah I th- I think it worked well enough I mean uh it was a little convoluted um, we did had to lean on. We did have to lean on some exposition to sort of make sure the audience was straight with it, but uh, but it worked well enough.
0: Yeah, uh, this is the first time we. Uh, now, Grant is only second movie, but this is the first time we get a true like cold open where we get you know at the beginning, you know Bond is kind of walking around, which is kind of funny. I don't know if you noticed uh, on the Blu-ray, but it was very obvious they overplayed the makeup on Conry to make it look like he almost looked clownish. Yes, um, which I thought was kind of funny, uh, and and so you know we get Grant sneaking up on him and using the the garotte in the in the watch uh, to strangle him, and then we find out it's uh, it's not really Bond; it was just somebody you know playing, and it was just all an exercise to to kind of test uh, Grant uh, and you know and to to test out Grant, um, and then of course we cut to the opening credits. Uh, which, again, it, there, it's funny because this one had an actual song named From Russia With Love, but, there was n- but it wasn't like the opening credit song like we'll see, uh, I guess the first time we'll see that is the next movie, which is Goldfinger. Um, but the song did play uh, when we first meet Bond in the movie with him and Sylvia when they're kind of by the lake or whatever, and then it closes out the movie. That's kind of the end credit song, if you will.
1: Now, here's a, a newbie uh, Bond question. Do all of the opening credit songs sort of meld into the same Bond music? Usually, yes. Okay. Yeah, they so they all kind of start off in their own different way and then end up being the Bond theme.
0: Yeah, they always kind of have those beats in in the not only the song typically, but then when the movie starts and they start kind of giving the you know the the not the you know kind of hero Bond theme, but just you know like. I guess when they're kind of, you know, doing like a wide shot or they're showing, you know, moving from one location to another, yeah, they typically incorporate whatever that song is, uh, in, into into that. Right. And this one was odd, too, because for an opening credit scene, most of the time in the Bond movies, it's like silhouettes or things are animated or nowadays they're CG'd. Uh, and in this one, it was like a real live person. I mean, they basically used, um, like I mentioned, they, they used Martine Beswick, uh, and her belly dancing and just kind of like projected the credits onto her, uh, onto her midriff.
1: Yeah. And I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, I had, I don't remember seeing anything like that anywhere else.
0: No, and I, I could imagine in, you know, 1963, 1964, uh, that being pretty risque. Like, you know, kind of seeing a woman dressed, you know, or not dressed like that and, uh, you know, kind of gyrating around the screen was probably, uh, was, was probably something that was talked about.
1: Yeah, and I mean, again, I, I thought this movie was risqué in a lot of places. Oh, like, yeah. they were trying to turn it up, you know, to make sure that uh, they had a market to sell it to. I mean, even, like, um, there was those weird, uh, like, lesbian overtones when... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. ...with, uh, with Colonel Kleb, She was sort of giving um, Tatiana the once-over there and, and... uh yeah. Like, that was weird, you know, and even weirder for 1963, I would imagine.
0: When it's funny, and I think that's one of those, when I was a kid, like, I would, that wouldn't have, like, that would have just completely blown past me. Uh, Right. And it was watching it now, I was like, wow, she's, uh, (laughs) she's totally coming on to her. Yeah. Um, Which is kind of funny. But, yeah, the other thing I noticed, I'm I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but, but it's just, again, since we're talking about, you know, kind of the tone and things being more risque, um when when we first when Tatiana first goes to seduce Bond and you know he's he's done the whole thing where he switched into the to the uh, bridal suite you know so it has the mirror so they can record behind him and he's in the bathroom and he hears the noise and he walks around and where his bed is that room is dark and you kind of see that figure that runs across and hops into the bed and i'm watching that and i'm and you know, part of it I think is because uh, the the Blu-ray is, is really sweet looking. I mean, this, this thing looks pristine. I mean, they really did a good job cleaning this thing up. Um, So when she's running across behind like the curtain, it's like a sheer curtain or whatever. She has no clothes on. I mean, she is absolutely stark buck naked. Um, And and it's funny because I, I kind of, I was like, it doesn't look like she has any clothes on. And I, I, not to be pervy, but I I like rolled it back and then watched it again and got a little closer to the TV and I was like, sure enough, <laughs> she has nothing on. Uh, which I, I again, you know, I don't know how much, you know, especially after that print had probably been run through the ringer, you know, four or five times, how much <laughs> you'd have of uh, noticed that. But that was definitely, I'm, you know, something that I was surprised got past the sensors. Right. I love the the game of chess at the beginning. Um, that was like the craziest thing. With like, I, I I've, I've never watched a chess match, but uh, right. I'm guessing that's you know if you're if you're gonna spectate on chess, I guess you know that uh, you'd have somebody up there moving the pieces around at uh, on a big board so everybody can see. Uh,
1: and, it, and I just liked that. Uh, I liked that that villain. Uh, I guess it's Kronstein. Yes, Kronstein. Uh, you know, I, I just liked it. You know, they flashed, oh, yeah, he was in the championship chess match when he got called away. And then when they're talking strategy, he's totally the chess master, like, working three moves ahead yeah. and setting everything up. You know, it was just very, like, again, you know, Bond villainy. But this is that shouldn't surprise me because this is these movies in the beginning are the blueprint for what everybody, you know, looked to afterwards.
0: Right, right. And we, and we could see too it was kind of cool, you know, he got the very again, very cold war, very low tech where he gets the message uh, you know, in the glass that just says, you know, Spectre wants to see you right away, and you know he kind of finishes off the—almost like maybe he was toying with his opponent in the chess game, and then once he got the nod, he was like, okay, I've got to cut this off, and wins in two moves and and hauls out of there. Uh, Right. And this is the first time we see Blofeld, but we sort of see him, but sort of don't see him. Uh, But again, I think last time you were kind of asking about the cat, so— Yes, yes. so we definitely see him see him with the cat, but we never see Blofeld. You know, we kind of see him from behind, and um, and we see him with the with the cat. But but again, like I said, Diamonds Are Forever is where we see the cat with you know the big diamond uh, uh, necklace. You know where it really comes into play. <laughs> uh, the whole Spectre Island thing was kind of funny too. You know, both of us are comic fans, and so again, that's kind of a trope that that I think has bled over to the comics a lot. You know, with Hydra Island and AIM Island and, you know, these big Marvel villain kind of things that have their own island to do crazy nefarious stuff things. And so it was just kind of funny again, you know, no, you know, looking at it through today's eyes, uh, you know, back on this to see, you know, the Genesis of, of a lot of that craziness.
1: Yeah, definitely. And even more crazy when you arrive and somebody comes out and says, welcome to Spectre Island. (laughs) Like, Isn't this, isn't this all supposed to be a big secret?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: We get a couple, this is two where we start to get the typical Connery, uh, James Bond, like one liners where he gives like the cheesy one liners, uh, but still make you chuckle. Uh, and one of them, I guess, is when he's, when he's looking through the periscope up at the, in the Russian embassy and, uh, Karen Bay is saying something to him and he's looking and he sees kind of, uh, the backside of Tatiana Romanova and he's like, Oh, I think things are shaping up nicely.
1: Yeah. Yes
0: and then uh and then of course when uh when they they kind of trail that uh the the Russian agent and he's trying to escape out of the the window that happens to be the woman's mouth and you know uh bay ends up shooting him and uh he falls out and he's like oh he she should have kept her mouth shut i mean it was just it, it's so cheesy, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that poster because it's so. It's so prominent and it's a Bob Hope movie, which sort of stands out when you're looking at it. You know, is it something that was a much older movie? Is it something that was going to be released? Was it like a, you know, I kept looking at it going, is that like a promo for something that's coming out or is that something that is long gone or is it totally fictitious?
0: I'm not sure. You know, I I don't think I paid attention to the fact that it was, that that's what it was. I am not sure.
1: Yeah. It's you know, it's another one of those things that you don't uh you don't see anymore. Like there's never any real world stuff in movies anymore. Right, right. You know, like even even if you remember like sitcoms in the 80s, they would like talk about other shows <laughs> or they would yeah. or they would have like real products in the kitchen, you know. Um and now, I guess, you know, nobody wants to give anybody any free advertising or whatever the case may be, but uh, you don't see stuff like that anymore. Yeah. You know, you'd never see a Brad Pitt poster in a Bruce Willis movie.
0: Right, right, right. I think maybe the closest we got that, and again, I think more 90s, I guess, than 80s, but was the last action hero where the real world had all those analog, you know, uh, Stallone was the Terminator on the motorcycle and, you know, just all the, you know, the crazy... Right, uh, right. You know, juxtaposition. But yeah, you're you're right. Um, what else? Do I have? Oh, again, to talk about the risqueness. You know, we see that Karen Bay not only has like a hundred sons, but he also uh, looks like he's ha- he has a, a like an actual harem uh, of women. So every time you turn around, there's like another woman woman coming in or another woman going out. Yeah. Um and at the very beginning even when Bond first goes to his office and he opens the door, the woman comes out and she starts like adjusting her dress and everything as she uh as she walks out the door, which I again, you know one of those things as a kid watching it, you know you don't even think twice about it, but as an adult watching it you're like, "Oh wow, that's what's going on in there."
1: <laughs> yeah. They were definitely the masters of uh you know, telling you that somebody was having sex w- without showing any sex.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely so. Um, like you kind of mentioned earlier about the the gadgets. Uh, the the I guess the big gadget in this one is really the briefcase, which which is probably one of my all time favorite Bond gadgets because it was like five things in one. You know, it had the The trick opening where if you didn't open it right and you had the talcum powder container, you know, in the right spot, it would, you know, explode tear gas. Uh, It had the the gold sovereigns into the into the lining. It had the collapsible stock rifle, which was actually a real thing. Like that rifle wasn't just one of those crazy bond gadgets. I mean, that was that that was a real deal where they made a a rifle, not not the same caliber, um, but it would actually collapse into the stock and you could actually put it together and fire it. Um and then oh the and the, the knife uh,
1: it had a dagger i guess yeah. in the uh in the side there he could pop out the little knife yeah. i guess that was everything
0: Yeah yeah So that was kind of cool and then of course we had the the camera that that uh doubles as the uh as the recording device which was uh we kind of
1: yeah. which <laughs> Which at first I couldn't uh I didn't realize that it was a camera in that bag. And I'm like, is he carrying around like a European handbag? <laughs> like, I kept thinking of that Seinfeld episode. It's not a purse. It's European. <laughs>
0: yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's how big cameras were back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. and it was funny because he you know he opens it up and it's this real to real tape recorder that's playing. Um, that scene I thought was awesome because it, it, that's where we flip back over to M, but he's trying to get information out of her. Like, where is the lector? You know, when are you going to get it to us? You know, describe it, you know, all this kind of stuff. And she is totally in on the whole, I'm here to seduce James Bond. Cause she's like, you know, James, will you make love to me? And he's like, yes, yes. Day and night. Just, you know, tell me, tell me what I want (laughs) to know. Um, which is kind of funny, and then of course they get into the you know the the story uh, where where M shuts shuts the recording off, but but again nice transition too where you know he's using that thing to record on, and then they use that as kind of a transition to the reel to reel in M's office.
1: Right. Um, it's funny. I was thinking about the case and the gadgets. Uh... It must be difficult because you know that every movie they're going to introduce gadgets in the beginning as they move on and you know that at some point those gadgets are going to be used yes. you know to get him out of trouble. So it's kind of like a slippery slope, you know. It would be a real trick if they could pull off in these movies surprising you when he uses the gadget. Yeah. Which here, you know, like it all came out in pretty much one scene, right? He uh, yeah, he yeah. offers him the gold coins, and then you're thinking, all right, he's got the case there. Here we go, you know, and he's gonna open it now and get the tear gas on his face, and at some point he's gonna grab the knife out of it. It all kind of happened like in in one shot, I guess. The, but uh,
0: yeah, I guess the only no, I guess that was after anyway. the the uh, well, I guess beforehand too. The rifle, I guess the rifle they used early on uh you know when they kind of did that with the with the scope with the infrared scope you know thing they they did do that but yeah but but the majority of it was the case and then after that and it was cool too because they make again like the like the Walter BBK, they make a mention of like all the field agents are carrying it they make a point of saying that so you know given the fact that Grant stole the case from the agent that Bond was supposed to meet when he opened up his case to show him you know, Grant said, oh, does this one have it, too? And Bond says, oh, yeah, you know, they, they, they should all be the same. Uh, and sure enough, right. when he doesn't, cl- you know, turn the, the clasp right, that's when the, the tear gas explodes. Uh, and that was a hell of a fight, uh, you know, in that boxcar between uh, between Robert Shaw and and Connery.
1: Yeah. Again, turned up a bit from the fights that Connery uh, was in in Dr. Now. Yeah, and, and apparently... It's
0: funny. I was listening to the commentary on on this a uh, a few days ago, and Terrence Young originally was just going to have the stunt doubles do it. You know, he told them, you know, that he came up and choreographed the whole thing, and he was going to have the stunt doubles. And he kept like really putting it in their face. Oh, you guys couldn't handle it. You know, it's just it's too much. You know, it's too too violent. You'll get hurt. You know, you, I don't think you could pull it off. And he really kept like chiding them to the point where uh, Robert Shaw and Connery just kind of got pissed off at him uh, to the point where they were like, No, we're doing this. Uh, so I think everything but, like, one or two of the little sequences was all really Robert Shaw and Connery that were, you know, beating the hell out of each other uh, in that scene. Which, again, I, I it definitely makes it look more authentic.
1: And at that point, the movie really takes off. Yes. Um, there are some scenes where, like, a little bit on that train dragged a bit, and there were some scenes where... You know, it was kind of chugging along, and then from that point, it's like they fight on the train, they get off the train, the people that were supposed to meet Grant, I guess, now attack them, right? They take off on the boat, they have trouble with, you know, a team they have to handle on the boat, then there's the helicopter, <laughs> like it really just yeah. is a speeds up from the train to the end, it's just like adversary after adversary, a lot of action. A lot of explosions, you know, right through to the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, you could definitely tell that's where the, the preponderance of the, of the budget, I think, went to at that point. But, but yeah, the helicopter scene was pretty cool too. Cause I think that was obviously an homage. I don't know if you've ever seen the Hitchcock movie, North by Northwest. Um, but it, it's one of those. It's, I mean, you've, I'm sure you've seen that scene before with Cary Grant where he's running and the helicopter's chasing him and he's kind of running back and yeah. forth. And so, I mean, that was an obvious homage to, to that Hitchcock thing. Um, and again, uses the the. I thought that was kind of uh, funny, where he, you know he uses the the rifle to hit the guy uh, who drops the grenade, and then you know the the helicopter. Very Bond. I mean, that's just a very Bond thing. You know, the dropping of the grenade and the helicopter exploding.
1: I just I thought it was funny that like, uh, what were they trying to do? Like, run him into the ground with the helicopter. <laughs> I guess <laughs> like, so,
0: yeah, just like clip them, I guess, get low yeah, enough to
1: they just kept flying like really low, and like he'd hit the deck and it would like just miss skimming the ground, yeah. with the helicopter
0: apparently it's funny i was I, as I was reading up on this, apparently at one of those swipes, it literally almost did kill him, connery like he he really did get too low um and almost clipped him in the head with the with the ski on the helicopter, wow, yeah.
1: One other thing I have uh, in my notes, which is uh, going back a little bit from what we're talking about. Um, I liked the uh, the picture of Tatiana that uh, Bond is told to give back to Moneypenny and he autographs it. Yes. And there's your From Russia With Love. Yes, yes. Which again, you don't get titles of movies that like have a direct you know, moment in the movie much, right. You know, right. Like most of the titles kind of allude to something or explain a little bit of what's going to be going on in the movie. This is like a direct, yep. There it is from Russia with love. You know, you don't see that anymore.
0: Yeah. I, I, and I think the bond franchise is kind of very clever in the way it comes up with that. I mean, not to get too far off topic, but like skyfall, like I remember when that movie came out, I was like, well, how are they going to like tie that one? Like, what does that mean? Uh, and they were really good about keeping it kind of a secret until the end of the movie, and then it was like, oh, that's what that's all about. The gypsy fight, we didn't talk talk too much about the gypsy fight, but that was kind of an interesting sequence where Karen Bay kind of takes him out to the to these gypsies that he kind of uses, almost like his henchmen. I'm sure it's kind of like a trade favor for favor kind of thing with these gypsies, and um, there's a dispute between you know, two of these women fighting over, you know, one of the gypsy men and the way they settle it is to basically get into a fight, um, which again, you know, kind of risque, uh, for the time. And then of course the, you know, the, the Russians show up and ambush the party and then it just turns out into this crazy all out, you know, fight where there's, you know, people getting shot and thrown into fire and, you know, it's kind of funny. Bond almost kind of takes like a spectator's. Uh, point of view with it like he's not actively like a participant but he's making sure that his allies don't get you know sideswiped or uh, you know oh, you know killed in this fight you know he just kind of like I said doesn't doesn't really put his neck too much on the
1: line right yeah I, th- I mean I thought the, the cat fight portion of it was sort of gratuitous I mean I didn't don't get me wrong I didn't mind it but again just a little extra like make sure we have enough cheesecake in this movie you know, it didn't really need to happen. Sure, they could have been just enjoying a meal, or <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But and then, I... and then of course, Bond gets both of them eventually. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. He gets, yeah. Um... So the the end sequence that we get. Again, really another kind of cool thing. They, you know, they they get to the boat and they take off on the boat, and then all of Spectre is kind of following them. Uh, and they use the barrels on the boat to pretty much just like lace the the water with you know the oil or the the fuel, I guess, the petrol. And uh, he uses the the signal flare to set it off and just pretty much kill everybody on his trail. Again, really cool sequence with all the explosions and everything. It looked really it looked good it didn't look like a really cheesy i mean we saw at the end of dr no and again a lot of that was budget when they kind of blew up his complex you could definitely tell it was a model uh and it looked really cheesy and this this looked you know pretty solid
1: and how many video games have used the oil barrels in the water oh yeah yeah Uh. (laughs) yeah
0: yeah exactly uh but again, you know, it, it just, it worked. It, it, uh, I, I thought it was, I thought it was well done, you know, and it, a good kind of, uh, way to cap it off, you know, with that final action sequence to kind of cap off the move. Well, not even the final yeah. action sequence. I mean, after that, then we get the, you know, the big showdown between Bond and Kleb and Tatiana and, uh.
1: Right. W- that's right. Yeah. That's, I left that one out when I said how it just kept yeah. going from chase to chase, you know,
0: and that, that comes, becomes a bit of a trope with the and not i don't use that word in a negative manner but with james bond movies where he defeats the villain he gets the girl there you think everything is okay and then the one or two guys or girls that uh that got away earlier in the skirmish or earlier in the movie end up showing up at the very end as kind of the the capper on it we'll see we'll see that a lot um you know over the course of these movies sometimes (laughs) it works sometimes it doesn't um but that was again.
1: And I love uh, I'm sorry. I, I love the the end or no it's not. And yes. this is our next movie. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Yes. Yes. The only other time and I'm sure you'll have a few which is great. I can remember that happening twice. Back to the Future 2 into 3. Yeah. And The Matrix Reloaded into Revolutions.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: because they were filmed at the same time and it was a done deal. They didn't need to wait. You know, they didn't wait to see how much the other movie made before they decided to film another one. You know, it didn't have to work that way. So they were able to do that. And that's you know, that's great that back then, you know, they just were full steam ahead. The first one was a hit and we were making a bunch of these things.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because they do that pretty much every time and. As a, I remember as a kid, you know, this before the internet, before, you know, all this crazy information that was always out there. When the movie would come on cable, that's why I stayed through the entire credit sequence was to see James Bond will return in and see what, uh, what the next one was gonna be. Like, what was the name of the next movie? Because they were uh, they always did that. Uh, So it was always kind of cool to see that. I think the only other time I remember that is at the end of Superman the movie. I'm pretty sure at the end credits, they said Superman will, re- Superman, I think it was just Superman will return. Um, because again, s- same concept though, they film most of those movies back to back. So that wasn't, uh, right. you know, kind of the same thing necessarily. Um, <clears throat> but yeah.
1: I like it as, as almost part of the movie here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it wasn't yeah. after this, It wasn't after the credits. It was right at the end, you know. Before the credits.
0: Well, and that's what's funny, too, uh, you know, with these movies, they do this opening credit sequence where you get the full song and you get the, you know, naked ladies dancing and all the craziness. They list everybody and their mother-in-law in those opening scene credits that by the time you get to the end credits, there's like the role of who who all was in the movie and maybe a few people that we didn't have in the opening credits. And that's it. <laughs> it's like, right, it's like a minute <laughs> and then you're out, <laughs> Whereas nowadays those credits go on for like day and a half, um, yeah. So it's just kind—it's of, kind of funny how how things have, have changed over time. Yeah. So let's let's talk about our scoring uh, and 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 points as we'll go through that. So the uh, again, this movie gets two points bonus for it being Connery as Bond. We talked about that last time about how our scoring methodology. Uh, and again, the purpose of this is to take key elements of what makes a Bond movie a Bond movie, kind of quantify those into categories. John and I are each going to score them out. And then hopefully by the time this is done, we will rank them and determine, uh, based on these arbitrary metrics, uh, what the the quintessential Bond movie is. Uh, so the first category we have are the women, the babes. Um, And uh, I gave this a six. Uh, this was definitely not up to, I mean, to me, there were just so many, so many of the women in Dr. No were just spot on and, and a lot of it just has to do like we talked about last time, Ursula Andrus was the first one and then, you know, Eunice Gason you know, her premiere in that movie and just some of the other you know, the the whole Miss Um and Tatiana Rom- uh, Romanova was, I mean uh, she she was an attractive one, I mean, Deanna Dion- Dianello Bianchi was an attractive woman, but not, like, of the caliber of the women in the previous. Uh, we definitely had uh, Eunice Gason in there to kind of bump it up a little bit. And then, of course, like I mentioned, the masseuse, which was—and uh, and the belly dancers was uh, was definitely, a t- uh, you know, bumped it a little bit. So I just thought this was, like, better than—I'm I'm, I'm looking at, like, five as, like, average. Like, five is just, like, yeah, it was, it was you know, solid enough. So to me, this bumped it up just a little bit, and I I gave it a six.
1: Yeah, I'm right with you. I went with the six as well. And and just mostly, you know, we have a baseline here now. We started with Dr. No, and uh, I I gave the babes and Dr. No an eight. And so exactly like you said, Russ, just not quite Dr. No par. Um, You know, not enough um, Sylvia Trench. You know, she was gone very early, and we're big fans of her. And uh, the lead babe, if you will, was down a, a little bit from Dr. Now. Um, I did enjoy the cameo babes in this movie, as you've mentioned. But I went with a six as well, which is nothing to... It's not disparaging. You know, a, right. a two Bond babe movie is... You're probably doing pretty well for yourself in the looks department. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, so, Gadgets and Cars. Uh, I give this one a five... Again, mainly just for the suitcase. I mean, to me, the suitcase is like the quintessential Bond gadget. Um, and I guess Grant's wristwatch, you know, the whole garage and the watch thing, which which you will see in movies, you know, in the future, that gimmick will come up um, again. Um, but, it, but it just wasn't like, I, I think we'll see some really cool stuff coming down the road. So to me, this was like average, you know, run of the mills, you know, solid effort on the gadget front. I mean, and, and like we said, Dr. No was the first, so it suffered uh, quite a bit, and the scores were low from that from the last time. So I'm, I'm pretty much middle of the road with the gadgets in this one.
1: I went one point higher. I gave it another six for gadgets just because uh, we also got the dagger shoes.
2: True, true.
1: And we also got... Uh, it might even be... A, I don't think it's a real gadget. It wasn't, like, spectacular or anything, but... Uh, the, the phone bug detector the little uh, right, right. <laughs> it looked like it looked like a little tape measure in its pocket that was sure. looking for uh, bugs in the room um, you know nothing spectacular but a good number of them yeah. which gave it an extra an extra point and for I, me. I
0: guess the camera recorder tape recorder thing was would I guess you'd consider that another one sure uh, so the villains or villain in this one uh, I gave this one a seven uh, I thought Again, Grant was a great villain, uh, you know, just really had that power and that presence, uh, you know, of the kind of villain where you could just kind of like, you'd have to, you know, hit him with a sledgehammer, you know, to kind of take him down. And I thought Rosa Klebb was, was fantastic. I mean, just, you know, short little spitfire and, and having the, the switchblade out of the, out of the boot was like perfect. Um, you know, very much fit her character, and then Kronstein is kind of the arrogant jackass. Uh, worked well enough for me. So I, I again, b- about where we were at with Doctor No, uh, for me at least, with a seven.
1: Yeah, and I went, you know, along the. Uh, we're not varying much here, obviously yet, but uh, I had an eight for Doctor No, and I was I'm an eight again for uh, from Russia with love. I really enjoyed the chess scene, like you said, and uh, and his sort of calculating act, and uh, we got a look at Blofeld, which was cool, and uh, Frau Farbisner, for lack of a better term. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and Grant, I mean, Grant was cool. Grant, the silent guy, you yes. know, she punches him in the stomach with the with the breast knuckles and he feels nothing. Yeah. You know, the opening scene with just him being trained and the whole, you know, I guess I'm counting Spectre as a sure. villain. sure. Uh, And, you know, the cool rings with the little ghost emblem and stuff. (laughs) Like, just, it was cool.
0: So next we have the music uh, and the opening credits. Uh, And I gave this one a 7. Again, a a very high step up from uh, from Dr. No. Uh, Just the fact that we had the open like it was. It was the whole fake out of Bond being killed, which we'll see that uh, again as well. But I think this one was done really, really well. Uh, and the music was great. I mean, we didn't have the 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 song from Russia with Love playing the credits, which I think was probably a, a credit and not a disservice because not a great song and if we'd had to listen to that for like two and a half minutes, I think it would have been really tough. Uh, so getting kind of the melody components combined with the with the traditional theme um, and having the belly dancers and the and the images projected on them it definitely doesn't hurt.
1: no, yeah i I went with an eight. Uh, I could see myself rewatching the opening credits of, the, of this <laughs> movie without rewatching the movie. Um, bes- besides the the belly dancer uh, herself, I-, I really thought it was cool the way, like the the colors, the way it yes. was sort of set on a blackness, and then the words that they were projecting had a lot of different brightness. Colors and it all sort of contrasted, and and then she had like sequins on that were making a little reflection and yeah. glimmering and stuff. I just thought it was all really, uh, really well done. Yeah, I, I went with an eight. Perfect.
0: Um, so the story. So this is just kind of like overall plot and you know plausibility and all that kind of stuff. I gave this one an eight. So again, kind of tied with me story wise for Doctor No. Uh, I I think what this one adds in kind of Te- kind of weaving this little bit of a complex narrative uh, and having the high action scene uh, is what kind of balances it out with Dr. No just telling a really tight, uh, concise story. So I-, I thought they were, you know, as far as, y- you know, the-, the plot of the of the movie, I thought they were very comparable.
1: Yeah, I, I want to step down from Dr. No. I-, I gave it a seven only because I-, I did feel like it was a little bit, convoluted in there, um, and I did feel relieved almost when uh, when Grant explains everything on the train, and I was like, all right, I did basically have it down, um, but I did get confused a little bit early on. I, th- I just think it tried to do a little too much, and it made the tone kind of strange, like we were talking about. There was a lot of talking and explaining and moving of pieces for the first half. And then the whole second half is just action sequence followed by another. Right. Um. Not bad. It was definitely still a good story that I enjoyed. But one step down from Dr. No.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, one of the things is it at times it was kind of tough telling whose side was on who because everybody looked Turkish. um, Yet yeah. some of them were Russian and some of them were not. So it just was kind of like you know the only way you could i guess tell who the russians were was when you know grant would kill them so um so yeah it did it did make it a little confusing so that's kind of got everything summed up to the point so now we hit the bonus round um and john and i have struggled with uh some of the quantifications for the bonus round and i think what we've come up with is uh bond as a character as a person as he was written um and you could probably argue maybe ian fleming himself was a a bit of a misogynist um and for better or worse um mostly worse i guess we're not we're not making any uh uh uh, we're not condoning behavior but part (laughs) of part of what makes bond bond is the fact that he is a misogynist and so we we really thought, you know, we kind of added some bonus points to the last one. Uh, we're we're kind of uh, refining that with this one, and, and anything we would add here would not have impacted the bonus score from Dr. No. Um, but we thought when he exhibits behavior that's a bit misogynist, as well as uh, being, uh, you know, signs of, you know, drinking and alcohol and whatnot, uh, that that was worthy of adding a little bit of a bonus point uh, to it, so uh so we we kind of like i said we've been struggling with this one and it's something we've uh we've wanted to add without uh coming across as a couple of pigs but uh but i think we finally uh finally found our 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 path on this one so all that being said uh i counted him having two drinks i counted him having a drink uh at the gypsy party thing i counted him having a drink on the train and that was it cuz there was no like casino scene um, you know, or anything like that where he would have had another, you know, he didn't have like his own private bar in his room, I don't think, where he had a drink, uh, yeah. that he was looking around. So I've counted two for that.
1: And he didn't order the martini. So as a... Yes. Again, as a newbie, I'll be looking for, uh, you know, when they pick that up as like a regular thing.
0: Right, right. And it's funny because it, it, sometimes it's not him that says it. Sometimes it's other people that say it because it's like they know... They know him so well that it, they, you know, right. like a female order it for him. But anyway, so we got two for the drinks. Um, so now we'll, t- we'll talk female conquest. And so it's obvious and apparent at the beginning that him and Sylvia sleep together because he even tells Money Penny that it, he said, you know, I'll be there in an hour. And he says, nope, make that an hour and a half. Um, and she's, you know, constantly taking the phone away from him and he's like smacking her on the hand and, you know, kind of, kind of, <laughs> kind of chastising her a bit. Um, again, so that, that was, that was that, um, of course, when Tatiana shows up in his bed at the beginning, that's, that's, that's another one. Um, and it's, it's heavily implied on the train that the two of them had slept together again. Um,
1: yeah, I agree with that. It's not
0: quite as explicit as, as at other times, but, uh, it, it's heavily implied. Um, and then, uh, as, as the gypsy at the gypsy camp, he's given the two women that were, uh, fighting as, as kind of like a, uh, uh, gee, thanks for helping us out and saving my life kind of thing. Um, so as we'll, we'll count that as two. Um, so Mr. Bomb was pretty busy in, in, uh, for Russia with love. And we have, we have five points for that. Um, yes. and then we'll get on to the, to the, to the, like we said, to the more, to the other aspects of it. So he, he actually slaps Tatiana on the butt, um, so again, I consider that misogynistic behavior. So we, would give him, give him, give him a bond point for that. Um, and then he, when he thinks that Tatiana's double crossed him, he actually smacks her in the face.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, that was rough.
0: Which, yeah. Uh, and then it turns out, you know, she wasn't really double crossing him at all. Um, so whereas Dr. No got six bonus points, um, for Marshall with Love gets nine bonus points, which is, uh, pretty hefty.
1: Yes. And I actually thought I I thought that Tatiana right when she dives in to stop him from being shot, um I thought she was gonna end up taking the bullet for him. Yeah. Which we would have had a discussion whether that counts for Bond getting (laughs) the woman killed. Yeah, probably
0: probably not, because there are and it's coming up fairly shortly where there's a situation where he like actively and consciously makes that <laughs> makes that decision. Um
1: right. Right.
0: I think it may be Goldfinger if I'm not mistaken, but uh or Thunderball at worst. Uh so that's we coming up. So he's got nine points. Um so again to kind of total everything up, like we said, we take these categories. Uh John and I each get our own little points. So ideally if it was the perfect, you know, bomb movie without any kind of bonus, uh given the five categories and the ten point scale, uh the, the max would be 100, but with the bonus added in there, it c- it can go up from there. Uh, so that gives From Russia With Love a score of 79. Um, and as we mentioned last time, Dr. No got a score of 68. Uh, so it looks like this one was uh, almost a whole letter grade better, uh, at least based on the, the metrics that we've come up with than Dr. No. So
1: Yeah, and they're very comparable to me. The main sure. factor here again is uh, the music and the credits for Doctor No hurt, and there were no gadgets and cars yet. Right, right. So those two categories alone, pretty much, uh, you know, that's about a fourteen point swing right there. Sure,
0: sure. So I guess that's about does it for From Russia with Love. So next up we have, yeah. Next up we have Goldfinger, which, um there's a lot of people that would argue that goldfinger is the bond movie that the you know it, it is you know without a doubt um the best of the best uh so it'll be interesting to see if we if we agree with that assessment uh and to see if it can do better than the 79 points that we give uh that we gave from from Russia with love
1: yeah it's a very interesting uh way that this goes just in knowing that you know, we've had pretty high scores for Dr. No and from Russia with Love, and I think we're going to have pretty high scores for probably Goldfinger and Thunderball as well. And then my knowledge sort of slips away. They'll all be brand new to me. But I think these first few that we're doing are probably going to end up in the upper quarter at the end.
0: Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of in the middle where it gets uh, where it, it kind of takes a pretty hard dip. Uh, And then it gets somewhat uneven from there, so. But I agree. Very good. All right. Well, again, thanks for joining us for From Russia With Love uh, on Shaken Not Stirred. Uh, We will be back. This this was releasing in March of 2014, so we might be able to swing another one in uh, in March. If we do, it would definitely be at the very tail end of the month. Um, but more than likely, this will probably be, Goldfinger will probably be the April edition of, uh, of shaken Not Stirred. Uh, so we'll just have to see how that goes. Uh, check out hhwlod.com, uh, for, uh, updates on this and all of the other podcasts we do on the network. Uh, check out the Facebook group. You can search hhwlod, uh, and you'll see the Facebook group for the entire network, which has all of the information on this show. Um, since this is a movie show, I'll, I'll take a minute and pimp out our, upcoming uh experiment that we did along the movie line uh we of all the shows we have on the network and all the hosts we have we had everybody rank their 20 favorite movies of all time uh, aggregated all that data together and so we're kind of coming up with the definitive hhw lod uh, podcast network top 20 movies of all time uh, so pay attention to again like i said the website and the facebook page for updates on that because uh, I think the first episode to kick off the the actual list itself uh, will be heard on the half hour wasted podcast where I will be traveling uh, up to Dallas to sit with Brad and Frank and Bill and uh, and and kind of unveil the list as we've come up with so keep an eye on that
1: Yes should be a lot of fun looking forward to it and I think uh, you know I think you can look for talk about that stuff on all of our network shows i think everybody's going to probably do yes. a little bit of talking about what movies popped up where so it should be fun
0: yeah yeah it'll be it'll be a lot of fun so again uh check out hhwled.com uh check check out the facebook page uh if you would be so kind go to itunes and uh if if search out shaken not stirred and leave us an itunes review that would be awesome help us get uh, noticed on itunes and and expand the audience that would be great um So until next time, this is Russ and John, where we will join you from with James Bond Returns in Golden.
1: Take care.